Okay, so, um, you know, when I was first asked to do this session on directors and officers, I was wondering how I was going to fill the time. <laughs> because while it's very important coverage, it's very rare that we use it. Um, and so I'll kind of go through really some claim examples and basically read some fiduciary responsibilities. Oh, yeah, sure. So I'm Ben Rupp. Um, I'm with the American Church Group, and we represent Brotherhood Mutual, and we insure a number of Assembly of God churches around the state. Uh, the history of our agency, my grandfather, Peter Rupp, actually helped form Brotherhood Mutual many years ago, and they came out of a group of Mennonites in northwestern Ohio and northeastern Indiana. Um, <clears throat> so we were the Rupp agency for many, many years. And uh, my father was a retired naval pilot, but he then got into life insurance and started thinking about group, because in life insurance you think about groups. So it was his sort of brainchild of having a denominational insurance program. And the Assembly of God denominational program was the first one uh, in Ohio, and, and I believe in the country. And so um, the way Dad set that up was if... If the insurance company, if the loss ratio was below 50%, then money would go back into the nomination. So as Brotherhood expanded uh, to all the western states, some of the state insurance departments thought that sounded a little bit like rebating, which is a bad term in the insurance business. Uh, and so they canceled the program. There was a bit of an uproar. They decided, how are we going to manage this? So they did come up with a ministry partnership which the Assembly of God is in, and so um, we, give, we give an initial uh, amount of money depending on the number of um, potential prospects, and then the other bit of money that's given annually is based on the loss ratio, <clears throat> meaning how much money, how many premiums were paid into the group plan versus how much claims were paid out. And... Um, and the, the group's been giving, getting that dividend uh, annually. And uh, so we're also really, I mean, we're insurance salespeople, but a lot of our job is, you know, to be here for education. And that's really where Brotherhood Mutual um, has done an excellent job. If you haven't been on Brotherhood Mutual's website for a while, uh, I'll leave out a pamphlet here on their safety library, but they have an incredible website for um, loss control items. The other service that they have that's very valuable is called Legal Assist. So if you have a contract you want somebody to look at, if you want Brotherhood's attorneys to look over your screening form, you know, what you do with uh, adults that are ministering to minors, um, safety and security policies are the new thing that Steve's going to talk about uh, in the next session. So you can send that into Brothers Legal Assist, and they will make recommendations of what to change. Now, at the end of that, they always say, consult a local attorney, state laws differ, and it's sort of their, their out. So I'm also going to say my out. I'm not an attorney. <laughs> but we're going to be talking about some legal issues here. Um, and, and that's why, basically, I'm just going to give some claim examples. <clears throat> but like I said earlier, um, directors and officers coverage is an important piece of the insurance policy. Uh, many years ago, we kind of made it an option, and now we're putting it in all the policies at 300,000 liability, optioning up to a million. Uh, the cost per year, uh, depending on the size, a uh, number of attendees, the size of the church, 
um, you know, it runs 50 to $80 a year. It's not that expensive. Um, and it's a, it's a unique part of the policy um, because, you know, it sounds important, it is important, but the differentiation with the directors and officers endorsement is that it's there for allegations of financial negligence. I'm out money because of the board's decision. And that can be difficult to sort of prove. Um, and so if boards are sort of, you know, following common sense, uh, it's very unlikely you have a DNO claim. So I've been selling church insurance for almost 40 years, and we've had one claim that, that I'll go over. So it's very rare. But um, the reason that we put it in all of our policies now is because when you have the coverage, you have defense coverage immediately. So if you get a weird type of lawsuit, someone just upset um, and throws out a lawsuit, then you have the defense right away. And, and that's usually the case. So um, in Ohio, as in all the states, and, and this, was, this was when I started my career, so it was many years ago, um, in order to keep people on nonprofit boards, each state would pass uh, laws or state statutes that gave protection to nonprofit board members. But it does not... Um, it does not protect the, the board members from gross negligence. So uh, that's why you know, we still have that and what they call intentional acts. So the, um, the first bit here that I'm going to look at is what I passed out about what's called fiduciary responsibility. So basically when you, have, um, when you incorporate a church it gives you protection for the people acting on behalf of the church. So I'm sure that all your churches are incorporated and you want to be incorporated. Um, I've heard that uh, in Virginia, um, sometimes that's more difficult. So a lot of people don't become technical members. <laughs> but uh, that incorporation helps protect the people acting on behalf of the church because you have to pierce that corporate veil in order to make a lawsuit against an individual. So where directors and officers is different from um, the many other church coverages that we have uh, that include general liability, which is bodily injury and property damage. <clears throat> so somebody's body is injured or their property is damaged due to the negligence uh, of the church. And, you know, for minors getting injured, it's very easy to say, you know, you should have had more chaperones. You say, well, Johnny was kind of a wild kid. He's always crawling up on these things. We keep telling him don't crawl up on this filing cabinet. He keeps doing it. Well, he fell and he broke his neck. Well, you should have had more chaperones because you knew Johnny would need, need more things. So that's bodily injury. So if the suit is against the church, against that Sunday school teacher whose room Johnny was injured in, and they sue the board, that's a bodily injury claim. That's not a directors and officers claim. Um, if you have a youth outing, somebody's injured. Again, that's a bodily injury claim. So we have a number of endorsements on the church policy. Obviously, sexual acts coverage. Um, and, and the argument on that would be uh, you weren't supervising your people that were ministering to youth properly. And that's why screening is very important because it gives some kind of defense. And not only does it give some kind of defense, it's also proven to be effective. So that's, again, not directors and officers coverage. Um, that's sexual acts. That would be a sexual acts claim. Another very important um, coverage is called non-donor and hired auto. And that's really what keeps a lot of churches, or a lot of 
insurance companies out of the church business because that's when people are driving their own vehicles on a church outing. If I show up to a church with my van and the church puts six kids in my car and uh, I cause a tragic accident and you know one of the kids is in a wheelchair or something like that, uh, they're going to sue Ben Rupp and State Farm Insurance or whomever. I might only have $300,000 of liability. And uh, so the argument in that courtroom is, church, before you put those six kids in Ben's car, why didn't you make sure he had a million dollars of liability coverage? And churches just don't do that because they're happy I showed up to drive. And I can say, how much insurance do you have? But this is, this is the coverage where, in, in my career, I've seen the largest claims. Our last one was 850000 um, a pastor asked somebody to go pick up some kids for a vacation Bible school. He was new to Columbus, went down a one-way street the wrong direction, head-on collision with an elderly couple. Uh, had about 50000 of own personal liability. So insurance underwriters say, how do we rate for something like that? How do we know how many people are driving around their vehicles? And you just don't. You just know by experience. And I think really that's one of the coverages that in sexual acts is, is why there's a limited number of companies that sell church insurance. But again, I just want to illustrate... Um, in all those cases, if they name the church and then they end up naming the board who didn't have a policy to check Ben's insurance, that's still a non-donato hired auto claim. That's not a director's and officer claim. A director's and officer claim is directed directly at the board for financial negligence. And so it's, well, there's one other part of the policy that's like this, and that's pastoral counseling, where we're insuring the individual pastor. So if the pastor gets sued, um, it's, the church doesn't have to get sued. Just the pastor can be sued and there would be coverage. Um, all other suits are going to name the church and then the people. And that's why the people are protected along with the church. Now, that doesn't mean that uh, an individual's homeowners might get involved, might not get involved. Uh, but again, when the church is incorporated, uh, we're protecting the church and the people the people that are acting on behalf of the church. We're not just, you know, ensuring the church building and that. We're ensuring the, the I mean, that's what a church is, is a group of people and their activities. So again, uh, directors and officers is just for financial negligence. So um, this handout the brother had on fiduciary responsibility, I'll just read through part of this. Uh, it basically just saying that there are, there's a duty that board members have to act in the best interest of the organization. It uh, says here we'll, we'll apply whether the ministry is incorporated or not. We're assuming everybody's incorporated because, again, that, that adds that sort of corporate veil of protection. Um, so towards the end of that first page, it says there are three requirements. Duty of care, duty of loyalty, and duty of obedience. So the duty of care... Um, is making decisions. And it's making decisions uh, in the same manner that a reasonably prudent person would have acted. In other words, common sense. Um, so you carefully consider the facts and the context of each significant decision or action. And so that's, that's a board member following, or the board as a whole following, a duty of care. And then the duty of loyalty um, is making sure there's no conflicts of interest. So decisions aren't made for personal gain. Decisions are strictly made for the interest of the ministry. Uh, an example of that is I'm on the board of trustees of my church, and we recently went out and got insurance quotes. So I'm not allowed to give an insurance quote. Uh, 
And not only am not, I'm not allowed to give an insurance quote, our agency's not allowed to give an insurance quote. I did get a brother mutual quote from another company, but I got other quotes and that, so I, I, can't, I can't potentially have any personal gain from that. So that would be an example of that, of duty of loyalty. So duty of loyalty can also be breached if a board member receives any indirect financial gain. For example, if a board member decides or takes actions that's intended to negatively affect a personal competitor. Uh, so if I badmouthed one of my competitors during my insurance review at the church trustees, I would not be following the duty of loyalty. Uh, and then the last one, you can read some other examples in here. And then the duty of obedience. Um, just saying that the board member is following your bylaws, following the purpose of your mission. And so that, that basically is the definition of fiduciary responsibility. Um, and on the back of this is just a one-page sheet that Brotherhood has for many different coverage endorsements. This one for directors and officers gives a few examples, and that's what I'm going to go through right now. Um, so again, financial negligence. An individual or business loses money due to the board's decision um, that the monies were not used properly. So someone could claim that they're out money because the church loses its tax-exempt status. So again, it's a, it's a, it would be an example that the, you're not really following common sense because, you know, the, that division of um, religion and state. So here it says, a member of the church decides to run for political office. The church helps the candidate recruit volunteers and endorses the candidate from the pulpit. The church also encourages members to give generously to the member's campaign and even loans the member a sum of money to cover the cost of campaign expenses. After the candidate's opponent report, uh, the candidate's opponent reports it to the IRS. The church's tax-exempt status is revoked, and so um, that way, then someone, you know, large donors discover that their contributions to the church during that year would not be tax-deductible, and they file suit against the church. So it's something that actually happened, um, and again, it's something that you want to stay away from. Um, the other, the other potential loss of tax-exempt status would be not keeping minutes or proper records of your board meetings. So you, you need documentation and all that. Just you, it's important to keep that tax-exempt status. Again, extremely rare that a church would lose their tax-exempt status, but this is part of um, of the coverage and and to be what the board should be thinking about. Uh, lost revenue. So. Um, I think this handout talks about an adult bookstore um, did a picketing, and then they sued the church leaders over lost business. Um, there's another example where a church uh, put in its bulletin that church members should boycott a particular business in town due to anti-Christian activity undertaken by the business. Several members convey this information to the business, uh, and terminate the relationship. The business then sues the church leaders for financial damage. Um, another example would be um, the church hires a contractor to widen a drainage ditch running across the ministry's property. The board of directors selects an individual from a local church to serve as the contractor, but fails to investigate his qualifications before the start of the project. The contractor has no prior experience with this type of project. 
And during the course of the work, the contractor strikes a support beam on a bridge running next to the ministry's property, rendering the bridge unusable. When the bridge closed, traffic into that part of town is substantially reduced. The contractor has no insurance to cover the damage, which delays the repair of the bridge by more than three months. A number of nearby businesses sue the ministry for financial damages resulting from decreased sales. So this illustrates the importance of when you hire a contractor to ask them for a certificate of insurance, which is a standard insurance form, and you can blame it on the insurance agent that says, my insurance agent asked me to ask you for this. Because what it basically does, it just proves that that contractor, that entity, has their own coverage. And these certificates are ones that, obviously, we mail out all the time. When a church uses somebody else's gymnasium or you go to a camp, you ask for a certificate. So it's a very standard form. Uh, but in this illustration, of course, the contractor didn't have insurance, and, um, and that was what made it more risky. Um, for someone to be able to claim lost revenue. Okay, the other, uh, this is where we had one claim. This is where donated money um, <clears throat> wasn't used in the manner that it was originally intended. So, um, in our case, um, an individual donated money for a handicapped bathroom, but the board used the monies to pave the parking lot and the individual was upset, and so that ended up being a claim. Uh, another example here is the denominational office receives a large donation from a church member for a specific use of purchasing developing a campground. Uh, after considering the matter, the denominational board decides not to develop the campground, but instead sends the monies to missionaries. When donors learned that the campground was not being developed, uh, she demanded the donation back. So again, it's people giving uh, maybe a capital campaign for a particular project and the monies are not used for that. That opens up a possibility of a lawsuit. Again, these are difficult lawsuits um, because the individual has to prove that they're out, but, but when it's something that was um, you know, intended for a specific use, you know that individual is going to get irritated. So uh, when you think about other types of boards, like being maybe on a school board, no matter what decision you make, you're going to make somebody mad, right? But this is why at churches we don't see many of these claims, because usually the board is making a group decision and is following common sense. And, uh, and you're not really upsetting people too much. I mean, maybe even a couple of these examples, uh, maybe if the church... Uh, then raise the money to make sure that the handicapped bathroom was put in, it might have uh, stalled that, that lawsuit. If anybody has any questions, just feel free to... Uh, we'll, we'll have questions then as well, but if anything comes to mind, just feel free. Um, so another one that's come up recently uh, from the claims department, I talked to a guy, um, Kyle, yesterday, and he said he's been in legal assist and getting a couple questions. Uh, if somebody now disagrees with the church's teachings or claims that a new teachings have started coming out of the ministry um, and that they've been tithing. So, but again, it'd be incredibly difficult for that person to claim that they were out monies in that situation. But it's an emotional subject and thusly maybe they could find an attorney that would file a lawsuit, and when you have the directors and officers' coverage, uh, the insurance company's attorneys are going to take care of it, you know, from day one. And again, I'll just stress that it's very rare that we have DNO claims. 
I've had one in 40 years, um, but it's necessary if somebody files a, a lawsuit due to emotional things or there are businesses that, are, that can claim that they're out money. So that's why it's important coverage, but uh, thankfully rarely used. Um, directors and officers coverage in the church insurance industry is typically what they call claims made, a claims made liability form. And that's different than an occurrence form. So the advantage of Brotherhood Mutual is occurrence form. They use occurrence forms for all of their, um, all their endorsements. And what we see with the competition is that the claims made forms are used for directors and officers and employee benefits and sometimes employment practices liability. So claims made form means that if you get a directors and officers lawsuit and you're still insured with X company, that claim is made while you're insured by X company and they're going to defend you. You move from X company to Y company and um, you don't buy that retro or that tail coverage and you get a claim from the year before when you were with X, X is going to say, no, we only have to defend you when we're insuring you. We're not insuring you, so we're denying the claim. So when, if you ever move from a claims made to an occurrence, um, you want to buy what's called a retro. So you buy back to the date when you started coverage with company X and, and move to company Y. Because the occurrence form says, we're going to insure you. Whatever length of time we've been insuring you, if you move to another company and you get a lawsuit claiming a claim during that year we were, insured, we were insuring you, we're still going to cover you. So that's the occurrence versus claims made. Um, the claims made forms for DNO have become, um, have become a pretty regular form for other companies. So uh, that's something to, to look for. Let me see here, another handout. So then, in, yeah. in the event that a church has uh, a member that does work at the church, doesn't have insurance, yeah. and you go ahead and use that uh, person in your church, and then there's a claim that needs to be filed. Brotherhood would cover that, and then would there be any repercussions to the church for not getting an insurance certificate? Um, so that member that's doing work is being paid to do the work? Yes. It's not volunteer labor. Because volunteer labor, uh, medical payments, coverage is there if the person falls off the ladder, you have a work day. But if a member that's doing work on the church that, that does not have insurance, then you're not doing your due diligence, you're not doing your fiduciary responsibility by allowing that. You should get another bid with somebody that has insurance or an entity that has it. Um, so we run into situations where, um, you know, a young neighbor wants to mow the lawn and they pay them $10 to mow the lawn. They're actually an independent contractor. They should have their own insurance. Um, but uh, just to go back to your, uh, to your example, let's say... Um, Let's say there's somebody in the congregation that works for a large painting company and they're a painter and they say, hey, look, I can knock this out and I'll only charge you $500. Everybody else is going to charge you at least $2,000. i will just come in here at nights and do it. Um, and that person works for another company so they don't have their own policy. That would not be a good idea. Even though you're saving money, it's not a good idea because you want your contractors to have insurance. Now, you know, 
we know all the time um, people are doing work at churches that are being paid to do work and don't have insurance. It's just, it's just not a good practice. Um, but it happens a lot. We know so it does. In the event that happens, that contractor gets hurt. So how do you respond? And then is there any repercussions to the church for not doing that? I mean, you would pay a claim, let's say he falls off the ladder. No, the insurance company would say um, you are being paid, you are an independent contractor, there's no coverage for that, that person's injury. Okay. There's just none. Because he wasn't covered under the insurance Under his own. But no, there would be coverage if he was a volunteer. Right. Right. If he fell up the ladder and he's a volunteer painting, there's coverage underneath our policy. Once you start paying somebody, they're an independent contractor. Their injuries, uh, their, you know, let's say that um, they were putting on an addition and that there was, um, you know, they didn't construct it properly uh, and that there were design deficiencies. For one, your insurance policy is going to deny any claim for that addition because they're going to say that wasn't built correctly because insurance does not pay for improper design or improper workmanship. It pays for when a windstorm knocks down that addition. Not, so whoever builds that addition, their insurance, and they have to stand by their work. So that's another reason that you want them to have their own insurance. But it's also, you're, you're, even though the church might be saving money and that individual wants to help the ministry, and you're giving them a little bit of money to cover some costs and a little bit of whatever else, you're still putting that individual at risk because uh, they, um, you know, they won't have coverage from the church policy uh, in, any, in any event. Uh, and there's a potential then that someone could say, well, board, you were not following your fiduciary responsibility by allowing Ben to come in at night and do that painting. So, um, but, you know, as I said, we know that's going on. It just, uh, we don't get that many claims. Just, thankfully, again, most people don't get seriously injured. But that individual is not covered by the church insurance policy. Um, they're volunteering. Yes. So let's say the church buys the paint, mm -hmm. and they come in and volunteer to do it, yes. and they're hurt in the process. No problem. Then we have medical payments coverage. Yeah, we have medical payments coverage and, and liability. Same with the kid mowing. If, if they're doing it voluntarily. If they're doing it voluntarily. And something happens. If they're doing it voluntarily. Rock and hit a window or yes, something. they're doing it voluntarily. You can. That's right. That's right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Let's say you're paying someone to mow the lawn. They could say that they're an employee now that you're paying them to mow the lawn rather than a contractor. I mean, from an IRS standpoint, they can be considered an employee if they don't do it for other people. If it does. Yes. Well, then you get into the. Then you get into. Are you are you collecting taxes? As an employee, and that's another issue, and that's another issue that is not covered by the DNO forms. If if you don't pay taxes correctly, that's that's an exclusion. So, um, you know, again, there's really no way around it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But if they were an employee, and it would be, let's say, let's say, if it was, if that was part of their job description. Because, you know, in the state of Ohio, we have the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Comp. It's a monopolistic workers' comp 
us agents, we don't sell workers' comp. That's done by the Ohio Bureau of Workers' Comp. And let's say you have a pastor that injures their back because they were shoveling. And they say, well, that wasn't part of the pastor's duty, shoveling. Those type of gray areas are dangerous as well. Um, so that's why you want to have um, you know, workers' comp for all your employees. But what you're, I think what you're saying is let's make them an employee while they're doing it. Or? I'm saying from the IRS standpoint that they may be, the IRS may say they're an employee because they don't have oh. classification of a contractor. Yeah, that's, that's above my legal knowledge, really, just truthfully. I, but I would, think, I would think that it would be difficult to say that that, that person is not a, a third-party contractor. You know, that, that, that they're not, even though, um, yeah, do they have a license for that type of work, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I don't know exactly how that would fall. <laughs> that would be a difficult scenario. Um, again, the one that, you know, you probably don't want to even test. <laughs> Are there uh, certain jobs that you would recommend uh, volunteers don't do? So, for instance, we're looking at three uh, roofs in a building. Yeah, I would the question just. The is, if a volunteer falls off the roof, yeah, and all bets are off, you know, everybody's a Christian here, will they sue the church? So, what would you say in the situation? Or, may, or maybe they're so injured they have to sue the church. You know, um, so uh, that's actually a very good example, and one I was going to bring up. Because insurance companies don't like volunteers on roofs, <laughs> um, but you know if you're if you're having a work day and um, you've got a you've got a professional roofer that's helping out and that's guiding people, and I say you know I'm a little afraid of heights. No, don't worry about it. It's really easy. Just go ahead and help us. We'll look after you. No, you don't want to do that, right? Because that makes more negligence. So we had a case once years ago that unfortunately a professional electrician was donating his time uh, to do some rewiring and was electrocuted and, and died uh, from the electrocution. And uh, you know the family did not make a lawsuit um, because they didn't want to. Um, but had he been incapacitated, well, actually, uh, yeah, I'll go in because we didn't know it came like that. So <clears throat> that individual, that, that claim has a higher bar because that person was a professional at that, at that, uh, at that task. If I would say, hey, I want to help the church, I don't have much electric experience, but I want to I do this electrical work, that puts more responsibility on the church because the church should be going, well, Ben, we're not comfortable, man. We want you to get hurt. Uh, we had a church in northern Ohio where a professional electrician, uh, there was a weird short in one, of the, in one of the sockets or something, and was badly electrocuted and couldn't work for like a couple years. And that claim, um, that claim was well over half a million dollars. Maybe he was incapacitated for a number of years. Um, that person was a volunteer, so there was coverage, and there was an argument made to say, um, had he been paid anything, that ha over half a million dollars would not have been paid out of the churches from the church's insurance. So, <clears throat> you know, uh, you're going to have uh, mission trips. You're going to have all kinds of work days where people are going to be doing things that they might not be doing every day. Um, 
but you just want to make sure that the, that your workers or your volunteers are very comfortable in the tasks that you're that you're asking them to do, and that you're giving them sort of proper oversight. So it's not there's nothing in the contract, and the insurance policy is a contract. There's nothing in the contract that says if you put a volunteer on the roof, you don't have coverage. No. There's nothing in the contract that says if you build a bungee jump, reverse bungee jumping thing in your parking lot, there's no coverage. But once you tell us, then we're obligated to tell the insurance company because we go, that's a little unusual. Now I've got to tell my insurance uh, underwriter, and then they'll send out an exclusion. Otherwise, these forms are written quite broadly. So, um, you know, if you're comfortable with your volunteers doing roofing, and you're following common sense, and you are doing everything you can to protect them and overseeing their activities... You know, there's coverage. There's no exclusion for it. Uh, so this other handout um, doesn't necessarily pertain directly to all DNO claims, but uh, it's just, again, what board members should be aware of. Obviously, you want to be incorporated. Are we following our bylaws? And maybe your bylaws need to be changed. Again, uh, you can send your bylaws into Brotherhood Mutual's legal assist and say, could you please look this over and give us some recommendations? They'll always say, hire a local attorney as well, but they'll give you some guidance. Um, you know, are we putting the ministry's interest at first? Again, that's the fiduciary responsibility that we went over. Um, do charitable immunity laws protect us from lawsuits? Yeah, there are in the state of Ohio. You've got some immunity, but not for gross negligence. Um, you know, make sure you comply with tax exempt requirements. Um, properly reporting any unrelated business income to the IRS. You know, that's an important part too. If you're renting any part of your facility uh, for monies, of course, that's uh, that's taxable and in income. So, yes, there are some exclusions in these forms, uh, one of which is unpaid taxes. And um, the one thing that I've read about that you want to make sure you're not doing is issuing financial instruments. Um, you don't want to be issuing bonds. <laughs> uh, you know, issuing notes is, is not a very good idea. You use a third party for all that because there's a number of laws uh, that go into that. Now, Brotherhood Mutual has your regular directors and officers form and then what they call the broadened directors and officers form. So, Historically, we've always used the broadened form for denominational offices and some larger churches because it does, it does broaden the definition of your leader a little bit. Now, Brotherhood already has a very broad definition of leader in their directors and officers form. So if you have a, a board that oversees the church's activities, you have another board that oversees your daycare activities, uh, you have another group that... Uh, just does the finances. All those people are, are leaders and would be covered underneath your directors and officers form. Uh, the broad one will give um, will give coverage to the employees and the and the team members. So let's say the board says we want to do this X project. Well, we want remodel our rental 
dwelling, and we're going to form a team that's going to oversee that. So the Broaden will will give the coverage for that team if they if during the lawsuit the lawsuit is written in a way that that team is not defined as a leader. However, usually teams report to the board who then make the decision. And that's why it's very rare that you sort of would need that expanded definition. But the expanded uh, broad form does give some coverage for fundraising. Um, let me see what that limit is. I think it's a half a million dollars. So <clears throat> here's some claim examples for the broadened form. Um, church undertakes a capital campaign to raise funds for a new building and the amount pledged during the campaign is insufficient to proceed with the planned building expansion. In order to raise additional funds, the leadership council of the church votes to issue promissory notes to members who invest in the project with an attractive fixed interest rate payable 12 years after the investment is made. Several members of the congregation participate in the promissory note program, which gives the church enough funds to begin the building program. Nine months later, the governing council votes to issue a second round of promissory notes and uses those proceeds to pay off the principal and interest of the first round of notes. Eventually, the church lacks the funds necessary to pay off the, the, the sizable promissory notes, and it's revealed the church council has unintentionally been issuing securities in violation of federal security laws. The holders of the unpaid notes make a claim against the church and the governing council for financial damages, alleging negligence in issuing the promissory notes. So inside this broadened form, there's $500,000 for this financing. There's a financing sublimit. So if the church decides to do anything of that nature without using a third party, then we want to have the broadened form. Now, the broadened form is a little bit more expensive. We don't automatically put it on. Um, I think probably in the near future we will be. Um, you know, that's a difficult thing in the agency because we don't want to force coverage on churches. But we know what, the, what you need. <laughs> you know, if, if we gave, we get a lot of calls, particularly the last couple of years, where churches say, man, we need to save money on our premium. How can we carve out some of these? So... You know, there's a couple changes we can make that we feel comfortable with. Uh, but to give you an example, what we're doing now, because it's very inexpensive coverage, is on all of our renewals, we're adding uh, traumatic incident uh, coverage because it's literally $10 a year. And that gives coverage if there's an active shooter, people see a traumatic incident, then there's monies for counseling. There's extra, extra expense coverage because there's a yellow tape around your building you need to rent facilities. So we're, we've made a decision as an agency to go ahead and just add that. And we are adding uh, security ops, which you'll be hearing from, um, from Steve in the next session, where security team members get primary coverage. The church's policy goes in front of their homeowner's policy. And that, again, is like $12 a year. So we made a decision as an agency, let's just put it on all the policies. But it's been difficult for us to say, does the church really need to spend that extra because it's almost double the premium for the, for the broaden, so you're looking to make an extra 60 to $100 a year. Do we want to force this broaden coverage on everybody? And we haven't at this point. But for the larger churches, we're starting to do it. And, of course, all our denominational offices, we're doing it. Uh, but the broaden is available. But I think 
really what some of these claim examples show you is really what you probably don't want to do. <clears throat> so here's another one, real quick. Um, a church in a small town decides it would like to raise additional funds to start a new outreach program. The board creates a fundraising committee comprised of volunteer members who decide to raise income through selling raffle tickets. Committee members then contact several local businesses and request donation of merchandise used as prizes. Fairly common. Uh, <clears throat> one of the businesses, a local construction firm, donates an unsold spec home to be used as the grand prize. Raffle tickets are then sold over a 30-day period. The grand prize home is prominently featured in, in the raffle promotional flyers that are distributed around town. Without the church's knowledge, creditors of the construction firm file an involuntary bankruptcy action against the firm a few days before the raffle drawing and all the company's assets. So that spec home, including a spec home, are seized by bankruptcy receiver to pay creditors. When the grand prize winner of the raffle discovers a new home won't be awarded due to the creditor's lien, he makes a claim against the church and the members of the fundraising committee for financial damage alleging negligence on the part of the committee demanding uh, payment equal to the fair market value of the new spec home. So that came underneath the 500000 of sublimit of, of, uh, of fundraising. So again, what that shows is you need to do your due diligence. You know, wow, you're going to donate a spec home, fantastic. You know, do you want to then go, are you sure you don't have any liens against that? You know, again, sort of like saying, are you sure you got a million dollars for your auto liability? But sometimes in this particular situation, you got to do your due diligence uh, to make sure that, that that raffle prize is free and clear of any liens. Uh, another one here, director of a denominational Christian camp meets with an elderly individual, owns a large tract of land adjacent to the camp. Following this meeting, the neighboring landowner changes his will to leave the property to the denomination that owns the camp. Several months later, the neighbor dies. The district superintendent is notified by the attorney of the state that the property adjacent to the camp would be deeded to the denomination under the terms of the will. The relatives of the deceased landowner discover the large bequest to the nomination, and they make a claim against the nomination and the camp director alleging wrongful activity. So this is what you call undue influence over the deceased landowner. So I have read of other cases like this where, <clears throat> let's say you have um, a member that's uh, been a member forever, and uh, she donates a large part of her will uh, to the church, and then after she dies, the relatives that you didn't even know existed, never really visited aunt, all of a sudden emerge and say, hey, th that should come to us. All right, so the argument, the legal argument there is that the church uh, had undue influence, that, they, that you coerced that individual into putting that into her will. That's a hard thing, that's a hard thing um, to prove. Um, but those cases are out there. So, you know, um, you want to be careful about <clears throat> giving members financial advice, investment advice. Uh, it's okay to use materials of third parties uh, on, um, you know, getting rid of debt and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's not, the, it's not the church that's sort of running the program. It's the church that's using the third parties' materials that are doing it. Um, and... You know, you're going to have maybe a professional investment person in the church that might give advice on, well, 
this is how you can you know give stock to the church or um, you know get rid of some of your gains and be able to do it. but that individual should be seeking their own separate counsel and not just relying on the church's counsel when making that decision to donate stock and whatnot because you don't want to have any hint of of you know undue influence subtle coercion that kind of thing so again this DNO I, I said earlier and it just came to my mind that it's a bit like pastoral counseling where we're insuring the individuals we're not just insuring the church because on a bodily injury claim sexual acts claim not an auto claim we're insuring the church and all the people acting on behalf of the church and the directors and officers in the pastoral counseling we're actually insuring the individuals and their decisions so what started pastoral counseling and this was, uh, you know, 45 years ago plus, um, a teenager committed suicide, and then the family's claim was uh, the, that there were counseling practices that the church was using that um, <clears throat> made this young person feel too much shame, and that they were not communicating that to, uh, you know, to the parents. And so... I'm just trying to make a connection here of as board members and, and maybe giving financial advice as a church to individuals, you don't, wanna, you don't want any hint that you are coercing, you know, that there was some practice there. Because it, it's, it's common that people know that they can put the church in their will. It's common that people can say, um, you know, I'm going to donate this stock and I'll be able to write off the gains that I had on that stock. You know, these are fairly common practices, and the courts will understand that these are common practices. But again, it's how that person made that decision that uh, a relative or somebody else could come back and claim that that money should be, uh, you know, in their will. Um, you know, when you're talking about deeding land, that sort of thing. Um, Again, this is the great thing about Brotherhood's Legal Assist. You say, we have this situation. This person wants to deed us this land. we got this, this, this situation. What should we do? And they'll give you some advice. So I really want to, um, you know, give you that idea that, that that's what Brotherhood <clears throat> is in the business, is to, uh, is to give you some advice. And the safety library, again, is the... Um, are all the resources that are online. So this is, um, I'll let you guys just pass these around a little bit, but this just shows you, uh, probably get too many over there. Um, there's many liability coverages. As I said in the beginning of this, there's a lot of liability endorsements on a church policy <clears throat> that you could think involve the board. And a lot of them do, because you could make the argument. You could say uh, we, there was a claim um, and that this, you know, kind of outrageous situation, but it illustrates. So we had a um, a youth leader who's taking a youth trip. They've been planning this for months. They were going to go caving down in Kentucky, and there had been some recent rainstorms, and there were barriers on the road saying that's dangerous because of flash flooding. The youth leader got out of the van moved these things, kept driving, and they decided to go caving, and sure enough, there was a flash flood, and an individual uh, drowned. So, tragic situation. 
we insure bad decisions. You know, people make bad decisions. So uh, that's why you're buying insurance. That's a bodily injury claim. But you could sue uh, the other youth leader that didn't stop this individual. You could sue the board that, um, you know, didn't put the right person in charge. That originally okayed this dangerous activity of going into a cave. Uh, again, that's not a director's and officer's claim. That's a bodily injury claim. So there's a number of, of endorsements on these church policies that are protecting the people acting on behalf of the church, including board members. So the directors and officers is really geared towards negligent financial decisions and not following your fiduciary responsibilities, not acting 100%, uh, uh, making decisions 100% for um, the benefit of the ministry. So, yeah, we've got some minutes here for questions. So they could, absolutely could, yeah. I mean, it could be proven. Usually these things aren't um, taken to court. They usually are settled. But in the court, if that jury said, yes, that was a terrible decision, um, that individual that they allowed to lead those youths into caving had no caving experience. Caving's dangerous. They should have been, you know, yeah, there's negligence. They proved negligence of that board. That board is protected because that's a bodily injury claim. The board is protected. We, even if we didn't have the directors and officers form on the policy, they're still covered. And that's why years ago we thought, should we demand DNO on all of our policies or not? Because it was so rare. Um, but, you know, more litigation, this and that, and the premium has come down for directors and officers to the point where now we're just putting it on all the policies for at least 300000 mm-hmm. So, Ben, is there times where uh, negligence Yes, there are. There are some exclusions in here, and um, one is going to be like not paying taxes. One's going to be about um, um, assigning investment uh, instruments. You know, if you don't have the broadened, um, there's some exclusions in here. Um, yeah, this is what I wanted to mention. Uh, computer-related harm. Okay, well, we've got, we've got cyber liability now in all of our policies. We made a decision we're putting at least 50000 of cyber liability in all of our policies, knowing that there's some exclusions here in the directors and officers. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, the, the big one, from my perspective is issuing security or financial instruments. You just don't want to do it. And, and churches don't. I mean, I had one many years ago that tried it, and it was a disaster. Um, but that, that's the biggest exclusion. Um, and, and when you get involved with... Um, well, here, so there's another exclusion. Uh, sexual acts or discriminatory acts. Okay, so that's why all of our policies have sexual abuse coverage. The other coverage that we have automatically put in all of our, all of our policies, whether the church wants or not, because again, it's like $12 a year, is discriminatory acts. So Brotherhood has a form called religious freedom that will guard against lawsuits claiming discrimination. The church is allowed to discriminate based on closely held beliefs. Um, but if you are renting your facility out to the general public, um, then you should have those closely held beliefs written 
in your uh, in your facility use agreement and what you're portraying to the general public. Otherwise, people would say you're discriminating against me. You allowed that person to use your building, but you're not allowed to use my group to use the facility. So again, Brotherhood's Legal Assist will help you put together um, uh, that facility use agreement and how you want to project if you are renting facilities to the to the general public. Um, so. But in that case of uh, the youth leader who moved the barrier, yeah. would they be able to sue him personally because of being negligent? Yeah, yeah, no, they will sue that, in, that individual, they sue the board, they sue the church. We're protecting all those people. Okay. All right? Now, that's not to say that that individual's homeowners might not get involved, might get involved. They might, because all the homeowners' policies do have personal uh, liability. Bodily injury, personal injury for libel and slander, uh, maybe liability in case your dog bites your neighbor or something like that. So everybody's homeowners does have liability, and it might or might not get involved. Now, with, with driving your own vehicle, we kn your your auto insurance is going to be primary. That's just the way the industry is set up, and the church is a secondary. But people that are acting on behalf of the church, we are protecting that youth leader that made a very bad decision. That person is still protected along with the church. Yeah. Yeah. This gets back to the chaperone. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, we, if we have an event, um, kids or youth or whatever, let's just say it's 20 kids and we plan to have three chaperones go. Yeah. And at the last second, one of them gets sick. And yeah. There's only two and they decide to go anyhow. Yeah. And that stuff goes on all the time. Yeah. yeah. Are you better off? Well, you know, that's the constant debate. We put something in a policy, and then you break your policy, and then it makes it, you know, yes. <laughs> you have it and you break it, you are even more in trouble. You are more in trouble, and that's correct. And like I said, these forms are, are broadly written, so it doesn't say anywhere, there's no exclusion in your bodily injury form that says, if you didn't have this ratio, you don't have coverage, so you're still covered. Yeah, if these things come up, you're covered. I'll, I'll speak that real quick also. Yeah. Uh, my past, Richard Hammer would mm. be heavily on the community standard of care. Yeah. So mm -hmm. nobody's going to print a document that says you need this many chaperones for this many students at this age. Yeah. Nobody that's smart will put that in print. Right. But there is in your community what they would consider a community standard of care. Oh. So as it relates to things like when you go on a trip uh, and you have chaperones and students, do the chaperones stay in the same room as the students or do they not? How do you handle that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody's going to put that in print, but uh, there is what they call a community standard of care, which is um, valuable in the legal world. Yeah, so, I'm going to look into that. Um, what you want to do then is you want to call your school system and say, hey, when you take your kids to New York City for their whatever trip, how do you handle this? What are your ratios? And call different churches in your community, different schools in your community. And what you'll do is you'll begin to establish what they call a community standard of care. Mm -hmm. It's not written anywhere, yeah. but it's this, it's this community uh, yeah. embraced uh, kind of right. understanding. A little bit like that definition of a prudent correct. person. Correct. Yeah. So again, it's kind of so common, common sense. Yeah. yeah, I've got to look into that then. Yeah, that's a good... Yes? Oh, absolutely, all this. So, uh, when you have 
when you're incorporated, you have what you call a corporate veil. And so it's, it's more difficult to pierce that corporate veil and sue individuals. So in unincorporated church, the individuals are actually more personal at risk. Now, they're still going to be defending our insurance policy, but we want churches to be incorporated. And we want you to review your bylaws. And we want you to, you know, st- some old bylaws might say, this needs to be updated 50 years from now. And it's been 60 years, no one's looked at it. Um, and we see that particularly with independent churches, uh, less so with denominational churches. But you, you want to be incorporated. And if you want to uh, <clears throat> have some guidance through that process, Brotherhood's Legal Assist is a good place to start coming through our agency or directly to them. Okay, well, I appreciate your time. Thanks, ben. Yeah, Thank certainly. You. And any other questions, just feel free to, you know, to give me a call or our agency a call.